0: brown tattered Bible anywhere? I don't know where the thing went. I just got, I just brought my study Bible. Anyway, whatever. All right, so let me start us off this morning by saying this. Dan, well done on the kids talk. I mean, kids talk for Trinity? Well done. That's, yeah, better than I could have ever done. (laughs) That's well done. Even a card, that's really good. So, um, here's the deal. Um, our view of the Lord, that is who we think God is. Okay, with me? Our, our, who we think God is affects everything. Our view of the Lord affects how we pray, how we evangelize. You understand it, it shapes the way we view the world around us, the way that we interpret the events that happen in the world. Our view of the Lord affects everything. Now, if I were to walk up to you right now and grab this microphone, Laura, I'm not gonna do this to you, but if I put you on the spot, don't worry, I'm not going to do that, although I'm saying your names so in a sense I kind of am, but if I were just to go around the room and say, okay, well, if that's true, if our, if our view of the Lord affects everything, um, I'm going to go around the room right now. Are you ready? I'm going to stick a microphone in your face. I'm going to put you on the spot, and I'm going to say, tell us your view of God then. Who is God? Well, besides being super uncomfortable and, and awkward. I I would guess that the knee-jerk response for many, particularly in a Western society, would be this. God is love. God is love. And that is true. That is true. Very comforting thought, actually. But let's say I keep going around the room, you know, and you don't want to copy the person in front of you or behind you, so you say, okay, well, uh God, God is a uh God is a Trinity. Well, no one's gonna, no one's gonna disagree with that one. But it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound as warm and as comforting as say God is love, does it? Sounds a bit academic. That's kind of what pasty-faced Bible scholars get excited about, who are socially awkward, and they that's why they're in libraries studying these sort of philosophical conundrums. The Trinity, ooh. Trinity is not really our view of God. It's a bit, maybe it seems like it's in the way, right? It's... Well we, we believe in a God of love, and we experience God, and, the, and, and we're, we're, we're into the things, like the spirit and thinking about these things and connecting with God. The Trinity, oh, see, that's when academia is starting to creep into this free expression of God and, and experiencing that. It's kind of a wart on Christianity. Well, here's what we need to grasp up front. God is love because God is a Trinity. God is love because God is a Trinity. When you study Genesis to Revelation and you ask, who is God? Who is God? How has the Lord revealed himself? How has he made himself known? Remember what I was talking about last week? How do you know God? It's not not just through taking a bushwalk. It's right here. The Lord has disclosed who He is, His character, His attributes. This is airtight. So if, if if we read from Genesis to Revelation, and we ask, who is God? Who is this God? We have to admit that the Lord is, in fact, disclosing Himself as Triune, Father, Son, Spirit. Now, again, I, I would hope that many people in here wouldn't disagree with that. But maybe, again, maybe it just seems a bit abstract, a kind of like a philosophical headache. What do we do with that? How do we even articulate that? I mean, how, how do we begin to describe the Trinity? I mean, I would argue that if, if you stuff up the Trinity, if you, if you muck up the Trinity, you're, you're, you're not a Christian, That's how big of a deal this is. Okay, it's not like ah, I take it or leave it. It's kind of like you know, I don't know, having a third tea or after dessert or something like you could take it or leave it. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's not. Ah, whatever. No, no. no. If you don't have the Trinity, if you can't, if you don't, if you this, if if we go off the rails here, we've lost Christianity entirely. Pretty massive. Pretty massive thing to say. So then, how do we? Okay, well. I don't want you just to feel like scared, but but how, how do we then articulate? If, it, this, if this is fundamental, if this is part and parcel of what Christianity is. Well, how do we how do we describe God as triune? How how do we do that? I wonder. I wonder. Maybe you've you've been in a context before where people tried to do that. Maybe you've been in a Bible study, right? And there's a a young new Christian there, and 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 this new Christian says, look, I, um, I'm really excited about Jesus and the forgiveness he offers and blah, 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 but can someone help me understand this whole Trinity stuff? And then the group begins to have a go. Right? Oh, look, the Trinity is, is a bit like an egg. There is the shell, the yolk, and the white. Yet, it is all one egg. You kind of go, That's interesting. And then maybe the next person says, okay, what's the Trinity? It's a mystery. Okay. Well, that's not really satisfying either. (laughs) And then at this point, someone in the group says, no, 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 no. I I think I've got a better illustration. The Trinity is more like a, a shamrock leaf. It's one leaf, but it's got three bits sticking out. Just like the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Finally, someone chimes in and says, I think, I think everyone is missing the point here. Okay? The Trinity is, it's more like the three stages of H2O. You've got ice, water, and mist or gas. And that's kind of like what the God we see in the Bible. I mean, the Old Testament, God is a bit cold. Distant. Then he gets real warm and fuzzy and he becomes Jesus. And then post-Pentecost, oh baby. Mist, whew, he's like, he's he's real, he's he's just a vapor, man. And then you're kind of sitting there going, Well, this is interesting. No wonder Christians can't really articulate this very well. The trinity, if the Trinity is so essential, and again, despite what those well-intentioned people said. Uh, the Trinity is not some bit of abstract, random, take-or-to-leave-it information, nor is it a nonsense equation like 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 1. Or is it not really like some impossible philosophical thing like, oh, it's kind of like a round square. It's What? The Trinity is at the very heart of who God is. It's, it's His self-disclosure. But then, here's the catch. Let me say this. Because some of you are go like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine. But the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Well, that doesn't sound very good, does it? So wait, I'm, I'm making an argument here that Trinity is essential, but... I don't see it in here. I don't see the word Trinity in there, what's well, not in there, do you not? Know the word Trinity's not in the Bible. So is it biblical? Does it matter? Well, how about we camp out on those two points today? Is the Trinity, if, if again, Trinity the word Trinity's not here. can't find it in here. It's on the Bible. So then is it biblical? First off, and then second, our second point is, does it matter? It's not in the Bible, you can't spot it chapter and verse, then does it does, does all of this even matter? Well, I hope you'll be able to answer that by the end of today in this Trinity Sunday. So, is it biblical? And does it even why bother, right? Does it even matter? Let's let's unpack those things, but first let's let's go to the Lord in prayer. Pray with me, would you? Lord, with our Bibles open before us, we acknowledge that you in your fullness is incomprehensible. None of us has the capacity to plumb the total depths of who you are. Yet we do rejoice in the clarity of what you have given to us. And so far as we can grasp it. So we ask now that you would stoop to our weakness and frailty. Please assist us by the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when I first became—I don't know if you've experienced this—but when you first became a Christian, eh, some of you grew up in church. But for some, I've—I've I've I've had an opportunity to sit down with twenty odd people here in this church so far and hear about how God has saved you. Um, I know when I first became a Christian, man, I was just, I was that guy. You know, anyone who breathed and would just look at me, i got to tell them about Jesus. Because I was just so overflowing with excitement, as I hope I still am, because of the gospel. But I I ended up encountering this one group as they were on the university campus, and it was a group of, well, self-professed Christians who challenged me about the Trinity. They said, where do you find Trinity in the Bible? And I was a bit stumped. I, I, I didn't have an answer. I, I, which made me feel inconsistent at best, unbiblical at worst. I don't know. Well, the word, the word Trinity, again, it's not in the Bible. You can't spot it chapter and verse. But the idea is certainly there. So it's our job to find ways which accurately reflect what the whole Bible teaches about any given subject. In other words, think about it this way. If I believe everything the Scriptures teach about topic X, you with me? So if I believe everything that Scriptures teach about this topic then use a term not found in the Bible to describe it. Am I not being more truthful to the word than someone who limits themselves to only biblical terms and phrases, yet rejects aspects of God's revelation? You see, Christians believe the Trinity not because the term itself is used in the Bible, but because the Bible, taken in its completeness, accepted as self-consistent book, teaches so from cover to cover. Make sense? What does the whole Bible teach about any given subject is what we're after here. It's kind of like this. Uh, Have you ever been to a friend's house and... You walk into their lounge room, and uh, when you get there, you can't. See, your eyes are still adjusting. Maybe it's a really bright day, and they need to have more, you know, or the windows open, but they don't. So you go into you, you're walking into their lounge room, and you can sort of make out that there's there's furniture there, right? So you don't you don't, don't want to just like run in because you'll end up stubbing your toe or whatever, but you can sort of make out. Oh, I think look I think I think there, it looks like there's that's looks like there's that's a sofa and I think there's a reclining chair there I'm not I think that's a coffee table I'm not quite sure and then when they open up the windows it's like haha now now I can see it all or or maybe it's dark outside and they're one of those people that they don't like to have lights on in the house, which is interesting and you know there's just one little light over on the side and you can kind of just dimly see you can kind of just n- sort of, again, decipher that there's just, oh, I, I, again, I, it looks like there's a lot of pieces of furniture here, and then they say, oh, hold on a tick, and then they flick on the light and you go, ah, okay, you know, hopefully you don't do that, but just go, you know, jump on the lounge, jump on the lounge or get the most comfortable seat or whatever it might be. The Bible's kind of like that when it comes to the Trinity. The Old Testament, the furniture is there. You with me? that's the Old Testament. When we come to the New Testament, the light flicks on, and then we see it. That's how the Trinity works. Let me show you what I mean. Let's let's go to the very beginning of our Bibles here in Genesis. So, in the beginning, God does what? Creates the heavens and the earth. You know, can I just share a quick anecdote? I was down surfing on the South Coast, and I was trying to share Christ with this guy, and he said, oh, look, I don't really believe in God, and he said, can you? but can you tell me your view of God? And I said, oh, yeah, it's this is my view of God. One day, planets collided against each other, and um, and then there became life form somehow, and then that life form, this was fish, and then the fish grew legs, and... And he goes, that doesn't sound right. I said, yeah, exactly. That's not the Christian worldview. Let me tell you what the Christian worldview is. In the beginning, God spoke. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Anyway, I got him. He was listening, at least, after that. So. So, so we have God creating the heavens and the earth, right? And we get a snapshot of the Trinity. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what do we see? And the Spirit of God, who's that? The Holy Spirit. That's right. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. You excited about the Holy Spirit? Amen! Let's start in Genesis because there is the third person of the Trinity there, the Holy Spirit hovering over, agent in creation, hovering over the waters. Again, the Father creates, in Colossians 1, the Son is agent in creation. So we're already getting a glimpse, you see? From the very get-go, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then the Lord uses plural language to describe His creation of people. Let us make man in our image. How about this? You see this again at the Tower of Babel. In the Tower of Babel, a bunch of people get together and they say, let's create a tower going all the way to heaven. And God says, oh, look at that little thing. I have to go, let us go down to go see it. You know, I know you think it's so massive, but we have to come down. We have to actually stoop down. Let us go down. Come to Psalm 45 with me. That, again, just some, already in the beginning, we've got plural language there, but if, look at Psalm 45. Again, think of the furniture here. You can tell the furniture's here. It's just, it's not totally clear, but it's, it's there. Psalm 45, well, this is incredible. This is a, this is a wedding psalm. It's a beautiful wedding psalm. The king is ready to get married. And it's a wedding celebration, a description of the, the bridegroom. Psalm 45, verse 6. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Scepter of your kingdom it's a scepter of uprightness. Now notice, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Now, again, do you notice how the, the king is addressed as God, whose throne will last forever? Do you see that? But then still speaking to this person called God, catch what he says in verse 7. "'You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions.'" Interesting. There are two separate persons called God. Can you see that there? And in the book of Hebrews, the author picks this up, which is interesting, this exact psalm, Psalm 45, author of Hebrews, still with me, and applies it to Jesus. Have you ever done this? Uh, You probably, you guys are nice people, you probably haven't done this, but when you get a little name tag and you're a punk little kid like I was and it says your name or whatever, you take it and you slap it on your mate's backs and he doesn't know? And then he walks around with it? The author... Of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, takes this psalm, Psalm 45, God your God, and slaps it on the back of Jesus. I know that sounds irreverent, but you get the, you get the point. Now, let's look again. You get in the picture of the furniture here. You can kind of catch a glimpse of it. Now, notice, let's look at another Old Testament text. Turn quickly, go to Ezekiel 34. You might have to look at your table of contents, that's fine. Ezekiel 34. This is a backdrop to the Gospel of John, okay? So let me just say that. Ezekiel 34, there's an anticipation of a better shepherd who is from the line of King David, okay? He is great-great-grandson of King David, but he's also God. So right now, for the time being, as we read here, as as we plunk down in Ezekiel 34, the nation of Israel has dodgy shepherds. And so we see this indictment on them. Look at Ezekiel 34.2. Ezekiel 34. I can hear Bibles turning, so I'll just wait a second. So, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds. Remember, we've got this indictment. The shepherds are feeding themselves, right? They're not, they're not guiding the people. And so then in verse 6, notice... They wandered away over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. This is exactly what happens in the Gospels when Jesus looks around, right? Jesus has this idea in his head, if I can say that, when he says people are scattered, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Notice verse seven. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord, As I live, declares the Lord, surely because my sheep have become prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the God of Israel, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hands, so on and so forth. Now, notice... I want you to see here, God makes it clear that he's coming. Did you see that? Since this happened, that's it. Right? Kind of like I say to my kids, voice is off or dad's coming back. And it ain't a good thing. So God says, I'm coming and I'm going to clean house. He himself is going to do it. Then in verse 23, notice here, you have all these eyes. I'm coming. Me, me, me. Listen, verse 23. Verse 23. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Now, wait a second here. Ezekiel, uh, don't you know, dude, David's like worm buffet, dead, gone. He's dust. He's already, He's been gone for a long time. He's been buried for ages. Obviously, this is not a literal David that Ezekiel's referring to, is it? I mean, unless he's, unless he's screwed up. It looks forward to a king who takes on the very identity of God. So we have someone coming. Can, can you see the anticipation there? Someone coming who is human, but also divine. Did you catch that? Somebody is coming who is human, but also divine, a God man. And then, drumroll, what does Jesus say when he comes on the scene? I am the good what? Shepherd. Shepherd. It's really cool. If you keep reading through the Old Testament, you get a glimpse of this close relationship between the Spirit and Messiah. You see that? There's this close relationship like this between the Spirit and the Messiah. In Isaiah 11, 42, 61, you get this anticipation of one day when the Spirit comes, the Messiah will have the Spirit in full measure. The Messiah will pour out the Spirit upon His people. Which is fascinating because what do you see at Jesus' baptism? Let's speed up a little, just give a glimpse now to the New Testament. At Jesus' baptism, what do you have? You have the Father saying, this is my beloved Son. And what's the Spirit doing? That's right. That's right. By the way, I don't, think, <laughs> I don't think the Father is being a, like a, you know, it's not like this is a puppet and he's being a ventriloquist here, right? This is my beloved son, oh, you know. It's not, it's not playing a trick. You see a Father, Son, Spirit there. Again, the, the Old Testament gives us snapshots of the Trinity. And when we finally arrive at the New Testament, we see clearly Father, Son, and Spirit. But it's, it's building. Now, Let's flick on the lights, okay? We, we've kind of fumbled around a bit in the Old Testament. We've gotten snapshots of it, but let's flick the lights on. Let's go to Ephesians. Go, go away to the right in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We sang this passage a few moments ago. You may not, let's see if you can catch it, you know, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of your mercy and grace. It's, it's right here. I mean, you have a problem with that song. You have a problem with Ephesians 1, sorry. But notice Ephesians 1, verse 3. Okay, ready? Here comes the lights. We're going to flick the lights on. Blessed be the God and Father. Notice the first person of the Trinity. You see that? But he doesn't end there. Look at the next part of the Verse. He praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for fathering us via adoption in and through Jesus. Verse 5, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Can you see it? The Father sends the Son to redeem the Son comes from the Father to accomplish it, and then, drop down to verse 13, the Spirit comes from the Father and Son to apply redemption. This is incredible. Notice verse 13, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Incredible. So in the Old Testament, the Trinity is there in seed form, if you want to use another illustration, but it blossoms. Or again, it's like walking into that house that's kind of halfly dim, then you flick the lights on. But it doesn't contradict each other, you see? It's not like the New Testament—it's not like they—they they messed up in the Old Testament. The New Testament says, "Oh, hold on, let me let me let me let me fix that. <laughs> let, me, let me let me actually change." There was a lot of there's a lot of blunders in the Old Testament, so let me actually change. No, 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 no. same house, same lounge room, different light now, as Revelation is progressed through the old into the new covenant. Makes sense. BB Warfield might help you or might more confuse you. This is what BB Warfield says. He says. The Old Testament may be likened to a chamber. He stole my illustration. The Old Testament may be likened to a chamber richly furnished but dimly lighted. The introduction of the light brings into it nothing which was not in it before, but it brings out into clearer view much of what is in it but was only dimly or even not at all perceived before. The mystery of the Trinity is not revealed in the Old Testament, but the mystery of the Trinity underlies the Old Testament revelation and here and there almost comes into view. Thus, the Old Testament revelation of God is, is not corrected by fuller revelation which follows it, but only perfected, extended, and enlarged. That's good. I really like that. Now, don't just take this bloke's word for it, right? It's got some fancy words there. It's kind of helpful, but, but let's see if See if you can spot it for yourself. Go to the passage Jeanette read. Let's see if you can spot it. Ready? Just turn a page over or two, depending on how big your Bible is. This is a study Bible, so normally I can just go, now there's a lot of notes, so I've got to keep going to mine. Ah, here we go. See if you can spot it. Ephesians 4. (coughs) sorry, 3.14. 3.14. 3.14. For this reason... that you may filled with all the fullness of God. Can you see the three persons of the Godhead there? So is it biblical? I reckon. Big time. Yeah. But does it matter? Does it matter? I think it does, for at least two reasons. I think it matters because it helps us to think rightly about the gospel And it helps us to think rightly about God. It helps us to think rightly about the gospel. And it helps us to think rightly about God. I realize that's a big claim. Do you you hear what I'm saying? Let's reverse what I'm saying. You don't have the Trinity. You can't think rightly about the gospel and rightly about God. I put it in a positive way. That's the negative way. I'll put it in the positive way. It helps us, benefits Guides us to think rightly about the gospel and rightly about God. Why? Why why the gospel? Really? Well, if our sins, I want you to think about this for a second. If our sins are to be paid for, if we need a perfect man to die in our place, what if the Father did not have a son to send? To be our substitute. If God couldn't provide him, or did not provide him, who's it up to? Us. (laughs) We have to provide, we have to find the, the perfect man, good luck with that, and then not only that, we actually have to provide the perfect man. And if we have to provide the perfect man, it's not been gracious at all. How has he been gracious? He hasn't done anything. Not to mention, it's impossible because, well, we can't provide the perfect man. It's only because the Father, you see, has a son to sin, to die in our place, that salvation can be accomplished. There would be no salvation if God were not triune. Does that make sense? I think we see it there in Ephesians. See, when we flip throughout the pages of Scripture, though, what do we see? We witness a Trinity at work. We see a Father who initiates, a Son who redeems, and a divine Spirit who applies. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Listen, without the Trinity, understand, we have no gospel. Without the Trinity, we have no gospel. That's why Joel Beakey helpfully says this. Joel Beake helpfully says, he put it this way, he says the gospel is essentially Trinitarian. Every member of the Trinity performs an indispensable function in our salvation. Without God the Father, there would be no one to send the Son and the Spirit into the world, to accept the Son's sacrifice, or to hear the Spirit-wrought prayers of the redeemed. Without the obedience and sufferings of God the Son, no one would escape God's curse or enjoy God's blessing in the Spirit. Without the renewing work and indwelling presence of the God the Spirit, no one would benefit from Christ's redemptive work or have any assurance of being reconciled to God as His child. Apart from the Divine Spirit, God could not dwell within the hearts of the redeemed to relate them to the Father and the Son. Without the Trinity, the gospel simply, what? Disappears. We have no gospel. See how massive that is? This is not just egghead stuff. This is part and parcel of, if you look, if you you call yourself a Christian, if you say, yeah, yeah, I'm ticking that box Christian, you have to embrace these truths. It's just that simple, friend. I mean, have you ever had this experience? You know, maybe, uh, I don't know, Sunday afternoon and you get a knock on the door. Really nicely dressed person comes, and they want you to join their church, right? And, and you're thinking, oh, I think these are the people that don't believe in the Trinity, right? But I'm not quite sure how to answer them, so. And I'm, I'm not keen on joining their church, but maybe you take their pamphlet, right? And you say, thanks so much. Oh, yeah, have a lovely day. You kind of close the door, and you look out the window, and you notice they're heading to your neighbor's house. Oh, good luck with Bill. He's going to yell at them. Right? You take the pamphlet, maybe you have a read of it, maybe you don't, maybe you chuck it in the bin. But let me ask you this, what's the difference between those, that church, say Jehovah Witnesses, and this church? I mean, I mean, look, or let's just take Mormons, for example. I mean, they're really nice people. I mean, are, are, is the distinctive of this church that we're just, we're lovely, nice people? Look, Mormons are probably nicer than us. Like what? What distinguishes us between those guys? It's the Trinity. It, it, it has to be. Or take for example Islam. In Islam, you have monotheism. Well, you've got monotheism in the Old Testament, but again, I think we've seen it's not just sheer monotheism, right? So let's take, let's take, let's just think for a second. Think about this. Let's think about the God of the Bible. If the God of the Bible were a single God, I don't mean he's looking for a date, but I mean if God of the Bible were just a single God, single person, well, how would that God be loving? Seriously, think about that. Because that, that God, in eternity past, before we came into being, well, that God, how would that God have an object to love? I suppose, in a sense, then he kind of needs us, doesn't he? Because he wants to create objects to love. But then that would mean there was a time when God once was, wasn't really loving, or at least he didn't. Maybe he's learned it. You catch what I'm saying? But Jesus prays. In John 17, is his high priestly prayer, what does he pray? Lord, I want them to know, to, to love you, the love that we've had from the beginning, before eternity passed. You see, before any of us ever existed, before this earth was ever here, the Father and the Son and the Spirit had perfect love for each other as triune. But they can't, if God were just a single person, God is one in essence, three in person, it'd be impossible for that God to be loving. I find that interesting, too, because if, if you look into Islam, one of the fascinating things about Islam is that they say, uh, well, there's different, there's different names for Allah, like 45 or something like different names. One of the names is he could be uh, Allah the Loving. Not that Allah is love, but Allah the Loving, meaning... Allah loves his Quran. He loves his he loves his his word. Yeah, but that's not really loving, is it? That's just that's not that's loving just that's an ob, that's loving for a non-personable object. Makes sense? So it's actually impossible for Allah to be fully loving. Isn't it fascinating too, by the way, that in Islam there the word for, there's not really a word for salvation. There's a the word for salvation means success. You see the difference? Where as triune Christians, we think that we believe that God the Father and the Son and the Spirit were there in eternity past, had a love for one another, worked together, the Father sends the Son, the Son accomplishes salvation, the Spirit applies it. In love they do these things. You see? So that we have salvation that is all of God, all of grace. Not our success. It's been accomplished and applied by our triune God. Do you see the difference? That's why these things are massive. So, see, it helps us to think rightly about the gospel, and it helps us to think rightly about God. How God has disclosed Himself. It's not, again, just a philosophical headache. The very God we worship is triune. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. Now, I hope today has been encouraging. I hope you've seen how relevant and how actually absolutely critical the Trinity is. You know, I, I was sharing with my wife, I sort of kind of waxed and waned, we're going to, have to start up 1 Samuel soon, going through the book of 1 Samuel. And I kind of was like, oh, should I just? Should I just? Because yeah. I've done Trinity Sunday since I've been here, right? And I thought, ah, me. and and then this week I went, nah, I'm I'm so excited to share these truths. Like I'm I was walking around Aaron Affair, right? Vanity Fair, Aaron Affair, whatever you want to call it, right? And I was walking around with a book that I highly recommend, and it's called Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. That book is gold. Michael Reeves, Delighting in the Trinity. Such a good book. And I was walking around with that book. Ross is already ordering it on Amazon, I noticed on his phone. (laughs) I was walking around with that book, and I was just, my heart was, I'm just trying to give you just little snippets of it right here, but my heart was just singing because of this idea of the Father having eternal love for the Son and sending this Son then to have fellowship with us, you see? That love, God is, as Reeves talks about this, God is an outgoing God. God is a giving God, you see? And I, w- I was walking around, and I just wanted to explode on the person next to me and be like, you have to hear about the Trinity. I was just so, I was so pumped. This was better than any surf. There's been big waves this week. Big deal, that comes and goes. This is this is, this is everlasting. This is eternal. And I was like, I have to, I have to share. This is this is more exciting than anything you could ever experience. Any long weekend and going camping, any surf that you would have had, nothing is, is is long. All that, all that comes and goes, right? You know that. But but the God that we see in the scriptures is trying is everlasting from everlasting. So I'm so stoked you guys were able to hear. I I again I could go, I'm done. But I could just keep going and going because there's just There's so much here. It's so rich. You can keep plumbing this thing. And I thought, oh, I'm so glad by God's grace that I I did this Trinity Sunday. It's just like for my own heart. Like this is just such a good reminder of the God that we worship. So I hope you've been blessed by it. And I look forward to next year doing God willing, Lord willing, the Lord tarries Trinity Sunday next year as well. I didn't invent Trinity Sunday, by the way. That's been on the Christian calendar for a long time, and I get, I get it, I get it, why, why not, if, if this is life or death, why, why not take, oh I don't know, just a Sunday to talk about it, kind of critical, kind of important, yeah, so I, I encourage you, going from here, I'm sure there's a lot of questions, go talk to Dan, he'll answer all your questions for you, <laughs> um, but, uh, just kidding Dan, <laughs> but um, look, uh, Michael Reeves, delighting in the Trinity, that is such an easy accessible book. I think you could even buy it at you could probably order it. I'm sure it's here. It's gotta be in the country. Anyway. So there it is. Boom. Very good stuff. So hey, how about we pray and then we'll um we'll take a time of communion, because you know, communion again is another expression, right? It's it's the father sending the son, it's his a, a real person, the second person of the Godhead who accomplishes salvation for us. But let's let's pray and then we'll we'll um Reflect on that reality. <sighs> again, Lord, we thank you that, uh, again, it's, it's, it's easy to sort of brush stuff off from our own sinfulness. And because our, our knowledge of you can, we think it's so much better than it is. And often, Lord, at best, it's a mile wide and an inch deep. Lord, we we want to repent of just laziness, selfishness, not really putting our shoulder to knowing you more as you revealed yourself in your word. Lord, we pray that as we dig deeper into this through growth groups, maybe even some people having a go at reading some of these books, uh, we pray that it wouldn't ever be just information like math. or head knowledge, but be heart worship. We praise you again for who you are, Father, Son, and Spirit. That's it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.